Once again, happy Father's Day to you. As I was preparing to preach this message earlier in the week, what I really would have loved to have done was departed from the Galatian sermon series today and preached a message that was directed toward fathers, toward the men of our church. However, I could never get any peace from the Lord about doing that at all. I felt like each time that I would seek the Lord on what I should preach today, He was telling me, continue with the Galatians sermon series. So one thing I learned a long time ago, any time that I have ever tried to force a message... It has been an absolute flop. So we are going to continue this morning in the Galatian sermon series. And it is the seventh and final sermon in this particular series. This is a journey that we started on. It will be one year ago tomorrow. Can you believe that? It's taken us basically a year to get through the book of Galatians. And hopefully we are going to be able to conclude that this morning. And as we prepare to take that step into the Scripture this morning, I just want to remind you what Paul has been dealing with a lot in this letter to the Galatian churches. He is being, um, it, he is being um, very straightforward with this church, and he's exposing the false teaching that has occurred. And you'll remember that Paul had previously ministered to these churches. They had accepted his message... But then after Paul left, false teachers came in and they started preaching a message that said salvation was based on works. And so Paul is writing this letter in an attempt to grab their attention again and have them to turn back to the truth. And while we're talking about false teaching, I just want to say just a couple of things. Unfortunately, I believe there are a number of instances today that false teaching occurs. If you listen, if you listen to many sermons, um, it's pretty easy to detect. Now, thankfully, I am not aware of that happening here. But, you know, we always remind you of your responsibility to take what we preach and compare it to the Scriptures. We want you to continue to do that. I think that a good bit of the false teaching that occurs today is the result of a preacher saying something in a sermon that he has no idea that he has said. You know, sometimes that happens. Things come out that we didn't plan to say, nor do we even remember saying. But that just emphasizes why it's so important to take what you hear preached and compare it to the Word of God. Sometimes I think false teaching occurs because the person that's preaching the particular sermon doesn't really understand the text. Perhaps they're trying to take a passage of Scripture that, and hopefully try to cram it into a situation to make it apply, and that just doesn't work. The, the Scripture was written for a reason. It was written to portray a particular message, and when we try to just pull verses out of context and make it say something that it was never meant to say, that's a problem, and it's a form of false teaching. And then, unfortunately, I do believe there's times today where the false teaching is indeed intentional. So it is so very important that we always take what we hear preached and compare it to the Word of God, no matter where you hear that sermon preached. As I think you can tell, it is so much more difficult to fall into false teaching if you are comparing what you hear to 
the Word of God. Now, as you see on the screen right now, the message of this morning, the, the title of this morning's message is a message in large letters. And I hope that you can see at the beginning, the message is written small, and then it's written much larger after that. And the significance of that will appear in one of the verses that will follow. But as we proceed through these verses this morning, we are going to see three different types of freedom that as Christians we have. And the first is uh, revealed in verses 1 through 5, and we are going to see that we have the freedom to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul begins by saying, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, there are some words in this first verse and some phrases in this first verse that we just simply can't let go by without saying something about it. The first is the word brothers. Now, I can imagine Paul was no doubt a little frustrated, or maybe a lot frustrated, with these people to whom he is writing. But yet, he refers to them as brothers. And you know, just as a specific point of application for not only the fathers here today, but everybody, the church today, you know, there are going to be times that we have conflicts with people. That's just going to happen. That is, and that happens, like each and every day that happens. But guess what? If we're all in Christ, we're still brothers and we're still sisters. And we should treat each other as such. We should treat each other as such. And then Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. And so maybe you... See the word transgression this morning. You're not exactly sure what is Paul referring to here. Paul is talking about sin. He is talking about a person who has fallen into sin. And then he says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago today when we were in the last, uh, the previous sermon in this series, there was a particular section of scripture near the end where we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And I even had us all to read that together on that day. But Paul is referring once again to that, you who are spiritual. He is talking about the people who are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And the believers who are actually Christ-like in character are to encourage others who have fallen into sin. And again, as a point of application, I want to remind us all, fathers, Christians in general, if we are in Christ, we have a responsibility to be Christ-like in our character, to be Christ-like in, in our dealings with people. And then we have the responsibility to encourage others who have fallen into sin. 
Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but remember that these false teachers had been absolutely insisting on legalism, that it was part of salvation. And I just want to ask you a question. How do you think that a legalist would respond to someone who is caught in a sin? They wouldn't be very kind and compassionate. I can tell you that. They would be likely harsh. They would likely be judgmental. They would likely be very condemning. You know, legalists know the law and they know the consequences of the law. But let me tell you what they do not know. They do not know mercy. They do not know grace. So Paul is pointing to grace here in this first verse of the final chapter. And then he says that the person who has fallen into a transgression, they should be restored in a spirit of gentleness. Now imagine when these people who Paul was writing to heard the word restore, maybe the first thing that popped into their mind was the process of restoring a fishing net. You know, they would have known a lot about that. And I can imagine, although I've never personally restored a fishing net, I can imagine that you'd have to be gentle with that. Or you could do more damage trying to restore it than actually fixing it. Or maybe, maybe when they heard that, they, their mind might have gone to the process of like restoring a broken bone. Like to put that bone back in place that's been broken. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced a broken bone. But if you have, let me just ask you a question. If you, if you could choose how that is restored, would you choose to have it restored gently or harshly and abruptly? Now, I think the answer for most of us, unless we're we're going to be under anesthesia when that happens, we would want it to occur gently, wouldn't we? But as as a part of that, we'd also want it to be complete, right? We would want that process of restoration to be gentle and complete. And that's what Paul is telling us, how that we're to deal with people who have fallen into sin. And I do want to point out something to you. I've said this many times from this pulpit, but I completely believe that the Bible is God's Word. I believe it is completely true from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through the final verse in the book of Revelation. I believe it's inspired. I believe it does not contain errors of any kind. And I do believe it means what it says. And to take that a step farther, if something, if the Bible calls something sin, let me tell you, it is sin. And our opinions do not matter on it. It is sin. And I bring that out this morning to make sure that we understand that although we are supposed to restore someone gently who has fallen into sin, that process can never include affirming anything that the Bible says is wrong. We cannot do that. Sin is a big, big deal, and no sin honors the Lord. But again, we are supposed to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And then verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that not beautiful? 
You know, we're not fighting the battle alone. We have other believers who can help us fight that battle. And when we see that the person has fallen into sin, we are supposed to restore them gently. Restore them gently. Verses 3 through 5, we've got to be careful that we do not fall into pride. This particular passage of verses says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. I wonder... How easy, I know how easy it is to fall into the trap that I'm going to tell you about. So often, during the process, when we know that there's sin in our lives, what we try to do is to make ourselves not look so bad by comparing ourselves to someone else. Maybe the conversation that's going on within our minds sounds something like this. Well, you know, I know, I know that what I did was wrong. But at least I'm not as bad as you fill in the blank. At least I didn't do what they did. Fill in the blank. I'm going to tell you that is wrong. Because in that process, what we are trying to do, whether or not we realize it or not, we are trying to minimize the sin that's in our life. And we simply cannot do that. We cannot Whatever sin that you think that is not a big deal in your life, I want us to realize this morning as a body of believers, that sin sent Jesus to the cross. That sin sent Jesus to the cross. Sin is a big deal and we cannot look at it as if it is not. We've got to be careful with that. And then Paul says we are to test our own work. And then the reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And you know, when we are comparing ourselves to someone else, the only person that is worthy of comparing ourselves to is Jesus. We need to compare our lives to Jesus. We should seek to live lives that will glorify him. And then verse 5 says, for each will have to bear his own load. Again, never compare yourself to anyone else. As we move into this next section of verses, we're going to see the second freedom that this particular chapter tells us that we have as Christians. And that is the freedom to give and to share. I want to read verses 6 through 9 to you. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now this morning as we look at this section of verses, I really don't want the focus to be on verse 6. Instead, I want the focus to be on the freedom that we have as Christians 
to give and to share. And I want to tell you something that excites me to no end. And many of you know about it. Some of you probably do not, especially if you're new to Greensburg Baptist Church. Over the last few months, I don't think we have talked about this from the pulpit. But again, we are talking about the freedom to give and the freedom to share that we have as Christians. One of the things that just really excites me when I look at all the ministries that occur here at Greensburg Baptist Church is the benevolence program that exists right here at this church. You know, there's a lot of people that are going through difficult times right now. There are people that find it difficult to pay their rent. There are people that find it very difficult to purchase gas to get to a doctor's appointment for either them or many times their children. There are times that, have, uh, that people have issues or difficulties paying utility bills. And I just want to tell you, we have such a wonderful ministry in the area of benevolence, and it excites me to see that at work. And you might be wondering, so how does that work? Well, each Sunday, everybody that's in worship is counted. You, you might see that happening, you might not, but we know every Sunday how many people is here. And we, we actually designate $1 for each of those people. It goes into a special fund, and then we have money that's available when a financial need arises. And I want to tell you something. I'm not going to call their names, because if I did, they would be mad at me this morning. But, but we have a faithful team of people of volunteers who meet faithfully, regularly, with people who are requesting assistance. And those people don't serve for recognition. They serve because they feel like that is what God, one of the ways that God is asking them to serve. But they meet with those people. In a lot of cases, we're able to help somewhat with a financial expense. But let me tell you, over and above all of that, It's an opportunity to share the gospel. And can I tell you, they do that. I have walked in in the midst of them sharing the gospel with somebody, and that excites me. Now, sometimes we do see the results with our eyes. We see someone give their life to Jesus as a result of coming here requesting financial assistance and then hearing a gospel presentation and asking Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. But then there are other times that our eyes might not ever see the results of that. And I want to call your attention to verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And, you know, I think it's important that we look at the word will, it doesn't say we might reap. It says we will reap, and there is just one condition that is attached to it here. If we do not give up. So church, I want to encourage all of us this morning to press forward, give freely, serve faithfully, even when your eyes might not be seeing results. I want to tell you, verse 9 is great news. And then as we look at verse 10, Paul tells us, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. 
and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then as we look at our final section of verses this morning, we're going to see that as Christians, we have the freedom to minister with pure motives. Mature Christians are going to minister out of pure motives of love. That will be what drives the person to minister. Now again, remember that the title of this morning's message is a message in large letters. And that comes from verse 11. To this point, from Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 up to Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul is, has been, uh, he has been writing this letter using a scribe. And maybe you hear that word this morning, scribe, and you wonder, well, what does that mean? It means that they were writing down what Paul was telling them. They were writing that down. Now, scribes did other things other than just writing everything down, but that's what I want you to understand this morning. When I say Paul had been using a scribe, he had not been writing this letter with his own hand up to this point. But now Paul stops using the scribe, and from verse 11 through the end of this chapter, Paul is writing this by himself. And he starts by telling them, see what large letters... I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, there are, there are a number of people that believe that the reason Paul is writing in large letters here is because he, he is known to have had an eyesight problem. And, you know, I, I, it could very well be that that was one of the reasons that he's writing larger here. But I, I don't personally believe that that's the reason that Paul was writing large here. I'm not sure that he would have taken the opportunity to have pointed out to them that I'm writing in large letters had that been the only reason that he was using large letters. One of the reasons that I, I think that he is writing in large letters and that he is telling them about it is because he wants to find, you know, hopefully get their attention one last time, and then I think he wants to take away any doubt that this letter could have been from anybody other than him. He wants them to know that it was authentic from them. But I wonder today, it's like we try to uh, do application for, the day, for today. I wonder if you have ever sent someone a text or possibly an email and you use all capital letters in either all of it or a portion of it. You know, sometimes we do that accidentally, but I'll, I'll tell you, or sometimes maybe we do it intentionally, but I'll tell you how that's usually received by the person. They receive it as if we're screaming or shouting at them. And so when we apply that to verse 11, I want you to imagine either sending that text to somebody or sending that email and using all capital letters and pointing out in that same text or in that same email, hey, did you notice that I've got this in all capital letters? I intended to. I think that's sort of what Paul's doing here. He wants to grab their attention. And again, he wants them to know that this, this letter is really from him. So as we move into verses 12 through 14, I want to read these verses to you. 
It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, throughout this entire sermon series, I have pointed out time and time again the false teaching that was occurring, the legalism that was entering the scene as a result of these false teachers. But as we look at the verses that are on the screen right now, we see a possible reason that they might have been teaching like they were. Fear of persecution. Fear of persecution. I remember years ago I preached a sermon here in which I asked the question, this question, when persecution comes, what will you do? When persecution comes, how will you respond? How will we respond as a church? And I want to tell you this morning, it's coming. Persecution is coming. I'm more convinced of it now than I ever have been. If we live long enough and Jesus does not come back first, we will experience persecution right here in Greensburg, Kentucky. I wonder when it comes, what will we do? Will we continue to be bold for Jesus Christ? Or will something happen that we will say, oh, that's not that big a deal. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut so I won't experience persecution. Now, we're going to be talking about that in detail here in just a moment. Another thing that this section of verses exposes is that some of these legalists, they really didn't even keep the law themselves other than circumcision, and they were doing it as a way to boast somehow. They were comparing numbers of the Gentiles who had received salvation and, and submitted circumcision. But Paul tells us in verse 14, it's a powerful, powerful verse, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. What Paul is saying by writing that, he is saying, in effect, that the world is on the cross. The world has been crucified. The world is absolutely dead to him. And as a result, he's dead to the world. And as we think about application for today, I want to ask us, are we personally? This is something you'll have to search your heart to know the answer to. Can we say that we're dead to the world? Are we dead to the world? You know, our actions, again, I want to tie this back to fathers. Our actions will reveal whether or not we're dead to the world. You know, do, do we come to church only when it's convenient? When there's nothing better to do? Or are we very much interested in the world? In going somewhere else and not coming to church unless 
it is convenient. And you know, if, if you're answering that question, maybe you're hearing me on the live stream this morning, and your answer to that question is, yeah, I only go to church if it's convenient. If you have a child, can I tell you they're watching? If church is only somewhat important to you, it's not likely to be important at all to your children. They are watching. Little eyes are watching. Have we, are we dead to the world? Or are we worshiping the world? Paul was not worshiping the world. Now in verse 15... We see that Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I wonder this morning, have you experienced that new creation? Because if you are in Christ, the answer is yes, you have experienced. I want to take you quickly to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, where God's Word tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I wonder, have you experienced that this morning? Have you experienced that new creation? And I want to tell you this morning, today is always a special day for me. This particular day, June 19th, because I want to tell you on this day, on this very day, 46 years ago, is when the new came in my life. That's when the new came. On this day, June 19th, 46 years ago, I was a nine-year-old little boy at a revival service. And all of a sudden, I felt like the weight of the world was on my heart, almost as if I could not breathe. And I knew that in that very moment that if I were to die, that I would not spend eternity in heaven. I knew that beyond any doubt whatsoever. And so what did I do? I went to the altar. I confessed my sins. I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And guess what? It happened. The new came in my life. I wonder, has the new come in your life this morning? If it hadn't, I would absolutely love to introduce you to Jesus today. It will be the best decision that you can ever make. And then going back to verse 16, Paul tells us, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul explains that this peace and mercy, it's available to all who are in Christ, who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You know, I told you that we were going to talk about persecution in more detail, and it's here. It begins in this verse. Paul was routinely beaten for the cause of Christ. Beaten. And as a result, he's got the scars on his body. It's proof that he was beaten. And yet what did Paul do? He continued to be faithful to preach and teach 
Jesus, even in the midst of those beatings, you know, I believe that Paul knew that some of the people who would read this letter that he is writing would remember that as a result of him trying to get the gospel to them, that he nearly died. He was beaten. He was stoned. And yet he was faithful. He was faithful to continue on preaching and teaching Jesus. And these marks that are on his body, these scars were proof that he was a slave to Jesus Christ. He was not a slave to the law. Those scars, they proved that he was going to please Jesus no matter what the consequences were. I wonder this morning, will we always do that? When persecution comes, what will we do? Will we be faithful like Paul I pray that we will. I pray that no matter what we feel the consequences are, that we will never stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul is basically telling these people here, listen to me. I have nearly lost my life as a result of trying to get the gospel to you. I have earned the right to be heard. I have earned the right to be respected. That is really what Paul is saying here in verse 17. And then, as we look at verse 18, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And I want to call your attention to how Paul started this letter in Galatians 1-3. He started it with grace. And I want you to see that he's finishing it with grace. He starts with grace. He finishes with grace. I think we can learn a lot like that from him. Our lives must constantly portray the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. There's that word again. Basically, the last thing that he says to these people, he refers them to them as his brothers. And then he says, Amen. And you know, from this point, we really, to my knowledge, we don't read about any of these churches ever again in Scripture. Perhaps that... Perhaps you know of a scripture reference where some of these Galatian churches are mentioned. But to my knowledge, they don't appear anywhere else in scripture after the date of this writing. You know, I wonder, did they heed Paul's message? I hope so. I really hope that Paul got their attention and they went back to believing that salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. I don't know. But the answer to the question is, you know, maybe sometimes people ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth all of the effort to tell people about Jesus if we don't see the results? The answer is yes. Yes, it's worth every bit of effort that we possibly have to tell other people about Jesus, whether are not our eyes see those results. So I want to again encourage you to stay faithful. Keep sharing 
Jesus. And as we prepare for our invitation this morning, rarely ever do I preach that I do not tell people. This is how, this is how salvation occurs. Because, you know, there, there are people that they don't know how to receive Jesus. Perhaps you're watching on the live stream this morning, and you know you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, but you have absolutely no idea how that needs to happen. As I say so often, it truly is as easy as we teach people in Bible school, little kids in Bible school, which Bible school is coming up here in July. I hope you're already praying about that. I hope that you're already preparing to serve in VBS. But in VBS, we often refer to the process of salvation, of how someone accepts Jesus Christ as the ABCs of salvation, the A means that we admit that we're a sinner. We realize that there's something in our life, maybe many things in our life, that do not honor the Lord. Those things are called sin. And as a result of that, it has caused a separation to be between us and the Lord. So the first step is that we've got to admit that we're a sinner. And then we've got to believe, the B is believe that Jesus is God's Son. That he, he came to this earth. He had an earthly ministry. He walked this earth. He experienced temptation. But yet his, his life contained absolutely no sin. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to go to the cross to give himself as a sacrifice for us. We have to believe that. We've got to believe that he died. He was placed in a grave, and then three days later, he rose from that grave. The the tomb is empty. The tomb is still empty where Jesus was. He rose three days later. That's why we celebrate Easter. And you've heard me say many times, I just feel strongly we should celebrate Easter each and every day. The fact that that tomb is empty, and in the sea, is that we've got to confess That Jesus is Lord. And part of that process includes turning from our sin. Remember, Jesus is not comfortable with any sin in our life. He wants us to lay that at his feet and ask for his forgiveness. You can do that today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You can make that decision today. If you are watching us on the live stream right now... And you'd like us to lead you to Jesus. Reach out to us. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the day that you've given us. Father, I thank you for the boldness of Paul. Lord, I thank you just for the example that he has given us through this sermon series in Galatians. Father, I pray that that we will have the boldness of Paul. Lord, I pray that when persecution comes, Lord, I pray that we will stand strong in the midst of that. Father, I pray right now that if there are people who need to make a decision to follow you, Lord, I pray that that will happen today. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that just needs to come and and kneel at the foot of the cross and, and make the affirmation from this point forward that I am going to be dead to 
the demands of the world and alive to Christ. Father, I pray that if there's people here who have put the world before you, Lord, I pray that this will be the day that 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 will stop. Lord, I pray that our eyes will be fixed upon you. Lord, I pray that we will turn our eyes upon you and never take them off. Father, for the things that you will do, we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.